in this series so far, which Piet started um, about four or five weeks ago, we've looked at what happens when Jesus comes to, comes to dinner, to a wedding, to Saul on the road to Damascus. And then last week, uh, Christo preached on um, when Jesus comes to teach on prayer. Today, I want to look at something a little bit different. I want to look about, at what happens when Jesus comes to a foreign land. I bet you didn't know that Jesus went to a foreign land. We think that his whole ministry was in Israel. Um, and, but he did go to a foreign land. And most of us can identify with being in a foreign land. Um, and I hope that each of us would identify with a part of what I'm going to talk about today in the life of Jesus. So if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, we'll start reading from um, verse 3. I'll give you a little time to, um, to find that. Um, but while you're finding your place, I've been preparing this during the time of the French Open and then Wimbledon, so tennis has been on my mind. Um, and it sometimes seems to me that the conversation we're going to look at, it feels a bit like a tennis match. You know, Jesus opens with a gentle serve and then... The woman bats it, returns it, and then Jesus comes. Every time she thinks she's got a winning shot, Jesus comes back again with the next one. And it, he's not competitively looking for the win. He's just looking to keep her in the game. So I hope you've had a chance to find John chapter 4, and we'll start reading from verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So... Jesus is walking from one part of Israel, Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, to Galilee, which is where he grew up. And in order to get there, he chose to take the most direct route. And that takes him through Samaria. And Samaria was not a Jewish territory. So he's in a foreign land. He's, I mean, as far as the Romans were concerned, it was all the same space. But... Um, for, for the Jews, Samaria was a foreign territory. Um, and so he comes to the well as a foreigner, as an outsider. If we read on the next couple of verses, as he's at the well, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I want to spend some time thinking about who this Samaritan woman is that Jesus meets. What do we know about her? And I, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to talk about her as the woman and her because the Bible never gives her a name, so I can't refer to her by name. Well, for a start, she was a woman. Um, and in those days, many religious men despised women. In fact, there was a Jewish prayer that seriously religious Jewish men would pray that thanked God that they had not been born a woman. That's the kind of position that women had in Jewish um, society. And then she was a Samaritan. 
We know something about Samaritans. Um, they weren't very popular with the Jews. Um, it's a bit more than that. Jews despised Samaritans. And the feeling was mutual. Samaritans despised Jews as well. Um, Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean. So anything that a, any utensil or anything that a, a Samaritan had touched, if a Jewish person then touched that same utensil, they would be ceremonially unclean. So that's if they touch anything to do with Samaritans. Most Jews didn't even want to go through Samaria. They would do a huge detour around the, Samar the area that the Samaritans lived in to avoid having to mix with Samaritan people. So who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans um, were a group of people descended from those who, had, who were Jewish but had not been taken into exile in Babylon. They had remained in the territory of Israel. And they took the first five books of the Bible as their scripture. So they didn't have the prophets, they didn't have the history books, they didn't have the books of wisdom, the Psalms and Proverbs and so on. So they didn't have a complete picture of God. They only had those first five books of the Old Testament. But they did have one thing in common with the Jew Jewish people. They were waiting for the Messiah. The Jewish people saw the Messiah as this saviour who would come to rescue them from the occupying forces. But the Samaritans saw him as a teacher who would explain everything to them and help them to understand. So they were looking for a, a Messiah, but it was a different kind of Messiah. So this was a Samaritan woman who came to the well, a double reason for Jesus to despise her and keep away from her. And she was coming from, for water in the middle of the day. I don't know if you know about the customs in that part of the world, but certainly at that point, you wouldn't go to collect water at the hottest time of the day, at noon. You'd go when it was cooler, in the evening, perhaps. And a lot of commentators have speculated on why this might be. And I'm going to talk a bit about the speculation, but it is just that. So she may have been avoiding other women because she felt ashamed. She may have been shunned by other women, wasn't welcome when they were there because she wasn't respectable. Or she may just have needed more water than she had at home and needed to go for water. So it could be that there was no big picture there. But what the Bible does tell us is that she had had five husbands. I'm sure there are people here today who have had more than one husband or more than one wife. And whatever happens with that first marriage, um, it changes us, the fact that a relationship like that has ended, a deep, committed relationship. Um, whatever has happened. The Bible doesn't tell us whether she was divorced or widowed. Let's look a bit about what it might have meant for her at that point to have had five husbands. What did it mean to lose a husband? You know, in today, if, if um, a wife loses her husband, it's a horrendous thing, but she can always, you know, that there are ways to earn a living that are honourable. Not so in the Bible times. There was no honourable way for a woman to make a living if she had no husband. So 
um, she may have been able to return to her family home with her father or her brother, and maybe later on if she had an adult son to go and live with her adult son, but she would have needed to have found another husband to support her. And what would it mean to be widowed? Well, <laughs> there would have been a huge amount of pain and insecurity um, on the death of a husband. And if it had happened more than once, that pain and insecurity would have been multiplied. And uh, often it's not doubled the second time, it's tripled, or, you know, it's not, it's not simple uh, um, addition. And um, to misquote Oscar Wilde, to lose one husband it could be seen as a misfortune. To lose two seems careless. So, um, a divorced, uh, sorry, um, <laughs> the community might have seen her as careless to lose more than one husband, or maybe worse than careless. They might have seen her as cursed to have lost more than one husband. What would it mean for her if she was divorced? Um, today, women can choose to divorce their husbands and men can choose to divorce their wives. It's never clean and it's never tidy, but there is an equality in it, certainly where we live. But that wasn't true at the time. So the, um, it was only possible for a husband to choose to divorce his wife. In Deuteronomy 24, it lays down the reason. And the reason is that the wife becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. So... A divorced woman has been told that she's displeasing to her husband. How humiliating, how shameful, how painful. This man who she has given everything to. So she was, that's, this is a woman who's had five husbands. She's not in a good place. For the Jews, it was kind of acceptable for a woman to be divorced two or maybe three times. Anything more was used as exceedingly immoral. <laughs> I've just said it wasn't her choice to divorce. It never was her choice to divorce. And so it seems incredibly unfair that a woman who has had five husbands would be seen as immoral when it wasn't her choice to end any of those marriages. And you know, as I said, it, she couldn't then say, oh, well, I'll go and get a job somewhere. I'll go and become a teacher or a nanny or I'll go and um, uh, run a big company and set up my own business. She couldn't do that. That wasn't an option. So however she'd lost her husband, she was likely to be carrying a lot of baggage. And she had many reasons to feel that she was on the outside, not acceptable in her society. And the final piece that we learn about her is that the man she was with at the moment was not her husband. So, another reason for shame in her society. So this woman is not the kind of woman that a nice man particularly a Jewish teacher, a respectable Jewish teacher, should even 
speak to. So let's look at and see what, what Jesus does when uh, this lady comes to the well. We'll read from verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. As a good Jewish man, he should have made sure that his clothing was nowhere near her and turned away and ignored her or possibly even moved away completely from the well. But he doesn't do that. He asks her for a drink. That means that he would have had to have got close enough to her to take the water from her and she would have touched the jar that the water came out of. So he was willing to make himself ceremonially unclean in order to open a conversation with this woman. Her response is, how can you ask me for a drink? <laughs> you shouldn't even be talking to me. So it, it, she doesn't say no, but she's, why? And yeah, his answer is a bit strange. He doesn't seem to answer her question. So he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Some commentators say that Jesus' words are a, a gentle telling off because she didn't give him water when he asked. And, and he's saying, you know, if you'd asked me for water, I would have given it to you immediately. But... Um, I'm, I think it's more than that. He's, he, he's keeping the conversation going. He's, he's bringing her in. He's um, making her curious, keeping her involved. She knows that he can, where's he going to get water from? He hasn't got a jar, he hasn't got a rope. How on earth is he going to get water out of the well? And if he had either of those, he wouldn't have asked her for a drink. So she's kind of twigged that the living water can't come from this well. So then she challenges him. 
Are you claiming to be greater than our ancestors? And, and Jacob and Joseph were um, revered not only by the Samaritans, but also by the Jews. It was, they were, it was their common ancestors. So she's, she's challenging him. She seems quite, seems quite feisty, doesn't she? She's, she's not your little, um, uh, little fading wallflower who wants to take herself out of the way. Um, she's not acting like someone who's ashamed um, that she has to get water when other people aren't there, other women aren't there. That's kind of how she comes across to me, but I may be reading it wrong. Perhaps what she's doing here is being defensive and trying to build a wall so Jesus can't get too close. So instead of Jesus answering her challenge about their ancestors, he meets her challenge with an offer, an offer of living water. That he knows that the water in the well It'll satisfy her today, and tomorrow she'll have to come again, and that will satisfy her for the day, and she'll have to come again. But it doesn't last. The living water that he gives will satisfy her permanently. And the, the woman hears her, his offer and takes it literally, and he, she thinks, you know, wouldn't it be great if I had a tap that I could turn on at home and I wouldn't have to come here every day? But that's not what Jesus was offering. So let's look at um, the next part of the discussion. We read from verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So up until now, the woman has only seen the kind of outward reasons that Jesus would avoid her, that she's a woman and that she's a Samaritan. It isn't personal. There may be all sorts of things going on inside, but he doesn't know anything about that. <laughs> now he shows her that he does know all about that. He sees everything about her. And if he sees that she's had five husbands, and the man she has now is not her husband, he must know all about her. He must be able to see what's going on in the inside too. 
you know, I think if it was me and Jesus said that to me, my mind would go in one of two directions or possibly try and do both of them at the same time. The first is, oh no, he knows everything about me. I, how do I talk to someone who knows everything about me? And the other way is, wow, how does he know that about me? So there's kind of two parts in tension here. And it feels as if she picks the second to go with. So it may be because she wants to avoid having to deal with the first part, that he sees everything about her. But she chooses to take the fact that he clearly is a prophet. And she asks him to settle the age-old dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans. Now she raises this not as a question, she just makes a statement. And Jesus, if he's a good Jewish rabbi, should not, to quote another part of scripture, cast pearls before swine, because she's a woman. Why would you teach a woman about theology? Why would you bother with theology? Um, it, it's completely against the culture and the expectation at the time, both Samaritan and Jewish. But he chooses to answer her. And he answers her with the authority that everyone who heard him marveled at. He shows her that worship is not about the where. It's not even about the how, necessarily. You know, we choose to worship in the way that we do, but that's not the only choice. What is important is the who, the Father, is who God, Jesus was speaking about, but for us it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And how? In spirit and in truth. So we can sing beautiful songs, but if that's not where we are in our spirit, then that's not true worship. And again, this woman bats the answer away. She says, well, nobody's really going to know the answer until the Messiah comes and explains it all. So she's looking for an explanation from this teacher that they're waiting for. And Jesus does something that he only other, does one other time. One other time he says specifically that he is the Messiah and that is at his trial. To the Jews, he doesn't re reveal himself, but to this Samaritan woman, this outsider, he reveals that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. And I, I kind of feel that there's a whole more discussion to come, but they're interrupted when the disciples come back. So if we read on to see what happens next, we'll start reading from verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, Sorry, I will move on and we'll then move to um, verse 39. There's a whole chunk of teaching, but there's too much in this passage to deal with, so I'll focus on, on the woman and uh, her interactions. So if we go to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So she leaves her water jar and goes back into the town. And it could be that she's kind of slinking away because all the disciples have come and this is, she's feeling a bit too outnumbered. But her encounter with Jesus has changed her. She doesn't just go home. She goes back into the town and she shares with the people in the town what has touched her. And it's not the teaching. It's not the fact that Jesus talked theology to her. It's the fact that he saw her. He knew her. And he still continued to talk to her. And he could be the Messiah. So she tells people in the town about Jesus and invites them to come and meet this possible Messiah. Which they do. And they believe. And they persuade him to stay with them. And I love verse 42. They said to the woman... We no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So they're not seeing him as the teacher that they were expecting, but the saviour of the world. They have been saved by Jesus. So what can we learn from this encounter between Jesus and a foreign woman on her home ground. Early on in the discussion, Jesus offers the woman living water. What do we mean by living water? What's, uh, what, what effect does living water have? I was reading various commentaries around this passage. One commentator puts it this way. As the water from the well can only satisfy the woman for a time, So all earthly things can only satisfy us for a time. None of them give lasting satisfaction. They come from outside and only reach the superficial parts. They don't reach inside us. And so they soon lose their effect. The living water that Jesus gives is eternal life. And this will satisfy us permanently. It's struck out of the very depths of our being. This makes our souls not a vessel to hold water poured in from outside, but a a fountain springing, gushing, bubbling up and flowing out within us, ever fresh and ever living. Having the Holy Spirit in us is the secret of this life with all its enduring energies and satisfactions. So when, when we're feeling tired and on the outside, we look for the Holy Spirit in us to bring us satisfaction. Jesus also tells the woman that everyone who drinks water from the well will be thirsty again. But who, whoever drinks the water he gives will never thirst. What does he mean? Those who have Jesus' water, who have the Holy Spirit living in them, have everything that they need to be satisfied already within them. With the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives living in us, springing, gushing, bubbling up and flowing out within us, ever fresh and ever living, we don't need to go and look for satisfaction elsewhere in fancy holidays, beautiful houses, 
fast cars, like Piet, I like fast cars. Um, but that's not where our satisfaction comes from. Our satisfaction comes from inside, from the Holy Spirit living in us. And that gives us a, a peace and a security that cannot come from anything or anyone else. What if we feel on the outside? Perhaps we used to be on the inside, but something has happened and we now feel on the edge or on the outside. Perhaps we feel ashamed, unwelcome, or unacceptable because either of what has happened to us or because of our life choices. We can know that Jesus sees us. He knows us. And that doesn't mean he wants to avoid us. He wants specifically to find us and talk to us. He comes to us with the same offer of living water as he gave to the Samaritan woman. And as we see from her, when we've been on the outside and we're brought onto the inside, we have an important role in spreading the kingdom of God. This woman brought her whole town to hear Jesus and they were saved through her message. What do we do when we meet people whom we may think of as on the outside for whatever reason? Um, I know a lot of people when they come to church feel that, that they are on the outside, they don't fit. Or when they meet with Christians, they feel that there's a barrier. We should be meeting people where they are, both physically, we not expecting them to come to us, but going to them, and spiritually. We need to treat them as Jesus would, with respect and gentleness, as well as truth. We need to reveal Jesus to them through the stories of how he has met us. If we've experienced being on the outside, that's a good place to start. I'll just share two stories from my own life. Those of you who know me know that I'm single. Being single in church is quite often difficult because churches are full of families. Um, and so um, we, as a single person, I've quite often felt on the outside in church. And uh, particularly when people say to me, so when are you going to find a, a, a husband? When are you going to? You know, and it's, it's not that it's something I didn't want. It's just something that didn't, God didn't choose to bring. Um, and so it can be really difficult. And so I know that peace and that satisfaction that comes from having the Holy Spirit in me, even when on the outside, I, it doesn't look like I fit. And an, another story, I used to live in Hong Kong and I was part of a church there and I was co-leading a um, Bible study group and the first time we ran the Alpha course at my church in Hong Kong, um, a, a lady called Lucy joined the Alpha course and became a Christian, which was wonderful. The church didn't really know how to deal with her. She then became part of my Bible study group. Lucy was a lovely, enthusiastic, bubbly woman. Uh, she'd been a prostitute. And so that was, you know, how does the church change shape to make space for someone like that? 
but the church changed shape and made space for someone like that. And she found a home in the church. Um, There's another amazing part of that story. Um, She was actually, at the time she started coming to Alpha, um, she was on bail um, for uh, her activities. And um, after she'd become a Christian, she uh, came up before the judge. And the judge was a member of our church, who she'd already met. (laughs) So God works in wonderful ways. And so it's those kind of stories. They don't have to be long. They don't have to be involved. But those kind of stories help people feel, everyone feel acceptable and accepted. Because Jesus doesn't turn anyone away. We can choose to turn away from Jesus, but Jesus doesn't turn us away. So we need to invite people to meet Jesus. And it's only when they meet him themselves that they can learn that he is the savior of the world. We can talk till we're blue in the face, but until people meet Jesus themselves, they will not understand what we're talking about. I've only started to unpack all that there is in this passage today, this encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But I hope that everyone has heard something to encourage or to challenge. No encounter with Jesus should ever leave us unchanged. I'm going to read again um, something that is part of my prayer for us as a church. It's my prayer that this would be true for us today and each Sunday as we listen to the sermon. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world.